talk about a very difficult topic and the topic is the narcissistic mother which to me is a difficult topic to discuss um, <clears throat> you know the narcissistic mother is problematic because she does not validate her children and this unfortunately is the root of many um, problems with you know anxiety and depression and just different issues like that it, it, it comes from the narcissistic mother um, we learn about ourselves and the world around us and our interactions as a child through our mother and we establish our sense of self and our sense of self-worth based on how our mother cared for us and nurtured us and protected us from harm. And we learn that we value, that we have value based on her empathy in response to our needs and wants and feelings. So there's this dynamic that happened between our mother and us when we were infants and toddlers and, and all the way, you know, growing up, all the way through elementary school and middle school and high school. And so, you know, our mothers are the foundation of how we grow as an individual and how we integrate ourselves into the world. And this is a very important foundation um, that is contaminated by or with, you know, verbal, emotional, or even physical abuse by the mother. You know, it's the, the child will grow into an adult with a heightened risk of anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, lack of self-worth, self-loathing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if, if you have a narcissistic mother, you're going to have issues with the children. You know, on the flip side of that, a healthy mother protects her children from harm and danger that are happening in the outside world. The narcissistic mother is the source of fear for her children. And, and this, this distorts the child's self-perception. Instead of being given the tools and the knowledge to help maintain a healthy self-esteem, children of narcissistic mothers have seeds of doubt they have seeds of self, low self-esteem that are planted in them. And, you know, it takes years of therapy to, to change that, you know, to get to the root of those seeds. And it's really difficult to, you know, go to therapy or to have a patient in therapy you can't tell them, you know, the problem is it's your mother. 
It's how your mother raised you. It's how your mother treated you when you were an infant. You can't say that. That's, you know, no one wants to hear that. And, you know, a healthy mother protects her child early on from harm and danger. You know, the narcissistic mother is the opposite. You know, the, the narcissistic mother is usually caught up in herself. You know, oftentimes you see the narcissistic mother, you know, dropping off the kid at, at the babysitters or at the nannies, or you have a caretaker that's raising the child. A narcissistic mother doesn't even want to raise her own child. That's the other side of it. You have all these nannies out there that are raising, you know, the child. So the psyche of the child is taking on the psyche of the nanny. It's not even taking on the psyche of the, the actual mother. You know, while a healthy mother embraces her child with unconditional love and acceptance to provide confidence and a safe space to discover, you know, the narcissistic mother will provide performance-driven conditional love. And then the stakes are raised even higher. You know, so if you, you know, it's like you have to meet these um, goals of the mother. I see this in wealthy neighborhoods where the, the narcissistic mother will be like, you know, I know you got an A minus, but you need to get an A plus. And until you get that, you're not going to get validation from me. You got to push harder. It's that. Instead of being like, you know what, an A minus, great job. I know you tried really hard, you know, great job. It's difficult when you're constantly criticized. You know, narcissistic mothers are like a contamination against these beautiful, defenseless little babies. You know, these babies trust and depend on their mothers for validation, guidance, protection, you know, protecting the child from harm. You know, they need attention from mother. They also need love. You know, here are some steps or here are some items that um, that take place with a narcissistic mother. Invalidation is number one. Your mother says or does something to hurt your feelings and she'll make some snide comment like, oh, stop crying. Or, you know, she'll make some sarcastic comment like, did it hurt your little feeling? You know, just stupid shit like that. Um, instead of validating your feelings, like, are you okay? Are you all right? Do you need to talk about it? That's validating someone's feelings. You know, I'm sorry you're hurt. You know, do you want to talk about it? I understand how you feel. You know, mothers need to be in a tune with their child. They call it attunement where the mother sits and they, they, she tunes herself to the infant. And when the infant is in distress, the mother is there for her or him, you know, depending on if it's a male or female child. Um, but narcissistic mothers are masters of invalidation.
narcissistic mothers you know have emotional responses that are acceptable to them not to the child they'll dismiss your feelings they were treated you know that's the way the narcissistic mother was treated by her mother so this stuff gets passed down from generation to generation and the problem is this leaves you you know with you can't define your own emotions or validate your own emotions or you just you push down your emotions and you'll get you know, anxiety, or you'll get body pain, or you'll get headaches, or you'll get back pain, because you can't talk about your feelings, because your mother does not validate them. So these emotions will come out in different ways. Number two, shame and fault finding. These narcissistic mothers are always very critical. They're always picking and finding fault, and they'll shame you. criticize you from anything it can be about anything and this causes you know it makes the child you know question and the child can't develop a stable sense of self or identity or self-esteem and the mother is blocking the child's growth And so it creates the cycle of this trapped child, you know, needs constant validation and approval. So they have to go back. It's like a hamster stuck in the wheel. The child then grows up constantly needing validation. It's not their fault. It's just the way that their narcissistic mother raised them. You know, they got crumbs. They got emotional crumbs as a child. Instead of hearing like, you're doing a great job. You look beautiful. You 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 know your grades. You're doing well. You know your your hair looks beautiful. You're you know you're you're taking great care of yourself. Instead of getting compliments, these these children are constantly at fault. The mother's always finding fault. Number three, triangulation. Why can't you be just like your sister? Then you're being compared to this third person. Why can't you be like your brother? And they bring in this other person. That's the the triangle. You know, the, the, the third person that is being brought in by the mother is comparing you to this person. And again, it makes you feel bad. It makes you feel, you know, it feel makes you feel bad about yourself. You always feel like you're falling short in the the eyes of the mother. This also teaches the children to treat with contempt those who do not meet the sta- meet the standards and preferences, as well as you know withhold feeling any form of happiness towards others who succeed because they've been conditioned to believe when something good happens to someone else. 
the same amount of goodness is subtracted from their lives. So it becomes a cycle. Number four, the child's thoughts and feelings must always align with the mother. narcissistic mother is very dramatic and she will project her own drama and junk I like to call it fears plans everything about her she projects that onto the child it's also natural for a healthy mother to project some of the same things onto her child but the key is health healthy healthy things You know, some mothers will say, like, my child is going to change the world. The difference is the healthy mother, you know, eventually releases her projections. So her child has the space to figure out who they are and how they fit into the world. The narcissistic mother does not. Her child will always be an extension of herself and must always reflect well on her. Narcissistic mothers compete with her children, especially the daughters. You know, I see this with, with some of my friends. You know, my not too many of them, but some of them will compete with, you know, my daughter's a little chubby. You know, she needs to lose weight. And oh my gosh, you know, she already has breasts. And, you know, it, it's like this constant like criticism. And you know that underneath the criticism, there's jealousy because this young, beautiful girl has youth and the mother doesn't. So there's that criticism, that picking that takes place. She's competing with her own child. And she refuses to acknowledge, accept, and appreciate you, you know, as your own person, because you're simply an object she uses as a step stool to make herself superior. You know, these narcissistic mothers just use people. Many of them don't even have empathy. They just use people, you know, to get to the next level. You know, the, the narcissistic mother is known for criticizing her daughter's appearance, shames her for her body, and even to win over her daughter's object of affection to demonstrate her superiority and desirability. It's disgusting, in my opinion. You never want to shame your daughter's body and her appearance. You never want to do that. You give that child a complex. It's awful. It's very, this narcissistic mother is toxic. Number six, there's two different dynamics that happen with the narcissistic mother. There's the public mom, as I like to call it, and there's the terror mom behind closed doors. So to the public, she's the super mom. She's doing it all. She's, you know, she's working. She's in, she's volunteering. She's the best wife. She's got it all. She's got money. 
she's got she's youthful she's you know she's got all these friends and she puts up this false front this false self narcissistic mask but behind closed doors she's a she's a terror on wheels to her children and people don't know that they don't see it You know, to the public, she's like the neighbor that is always, you know, funny and, you know, how are you? You know, good morning, sunshine. You know, it's like that. And then behind doors, she's like cutting down her daughter, telling her she's fat and, you know, whatever. Um, it's awful. Because she's, it's almost like she's playing two different roles. She's self-centered, she's easily angered, she's dismissive, she's invalidating, she's manipulative, she's malicious, and she's always the right mother who makes it clear how insignificant you are and how disgusted she is with her own family. It's all about image and status with the narcissistic mother. And so this false self, this false image, is created for the public eye. And so it makes all of your friends like envy her. Like, oh, wow, she's so fabulous. Did you see? Oh my gosh, she has like the perfect family. She's sweet, she's loving, she's supportive, she's nurturing, she's hardworking, she's charitable. But her children know her secret. Her children will, you'll see these children, they'll stare at her. Like when you run into these narcissistic mothers like in the store and the mother is talking and like, oh yeah, my daughter's doing great in school and she's getting straight A's and oh my God, look at how fabulous she is. And like the daughter is looking at her mother with like daggers. You see this. This narcissistic mother looks at everyone with contempt. She gossips about the very same people she welcomes with a gentle smile and open arms. She rarely cooks for her family or cleans the house for that matter. She always, she's always first, the first to volunteer. Um, yeah, it's difficult. This woman, even just describing her is exhausting. Because there's so many of them out there. And this this narcissistic mother, this is number seven. The children always end up walking on eggshells. And not always, but sometimes these children end up becoming the same narcissistic mother themselves. So this, it, this pattern repeats itself through generations. Not with all children, but... You know, if you're raised by a narcissistic mother and this is, you know, you learn these traits. But you also learn and you take note of what would throw your mother into a rage. And so this is where you start tiptoeing on eggshells, you know, because her behavior is erratic. And it's based on a mood. And you don't know it's just never consistent. The, the narcissistic mother is, is emotionally and mentally fragile. And it's const, she needs constant validation 
on her sense of self-importance and superiority. And her emotions are like a psychological roller coaster. I call these narcissistic mothers monsters because they're moms and they're also kind of like monsters. So I call them monsters. You know, these narcissistic mothers can burst into like a full-blown rage um, and they'll take it out on their child. And number eight, they have no respect for the child's boundaries. You know, the mother views their children as an extension of herself, not as an independent human. So these these mothers feel entitled to whatever the child has. And so there's there's disregard for her children's basic needs, like in regards to privacy or just being independent. Um, And it keeps her children in a state of perpetual childhood. You know, kids need boundaries. They need to have, children will eventually start closing their door because they want privacy. And a mother and a father, for that matter, need to respect that. But the narcissistic mother becomes so enmeshed with her children that she engages in, it's almost like a covert emotional, it's an emotional incest where she makes her children responsible for fulfilling her emotional needs and expectations. You know, where you almost feel like um, this type of mother can make the child feel like you are, you're the mother. You have to fulfill her needs. It's almost like there's this flip in relationship. You have to fulfill the mother's needs, like she's the child. The nurse, number nine, the narcissistic mother is never at fault and she's never wrong and she will never admit to it. She'll never apologize. That's a big one because these mothers, they're like Tasmanian devils and they will never apologize. They'll never admit to fault, and this really, really injures their children, and it injures people around them. And they can't apologize because their ego is not strong enough to apologize. They'll deflect it onto someone else. I didn't do it. So-and-so did it. It's not me. Admitting to fault means she loses control over her false image. It threatens her in her superiority over others. You know, people that have to have control over other people, those that's a red flag. You know, and and these narcissistic mothers that have this fragile self, you know, they're very destructive people. They're harmful people. And they the, the people that they harm the most are their own children. It's really sad. And usually the narcissistic mothers, they never go to therapy. It's the children that go to therapy to try to figure out how to repair 
themselves and to how to, you know, get their life back together. And processing all of this is painful. sometimes it's impossible to deal with a narcissistic mother you see you know many people that just move to you know when they graduate from high school or they graduate from college they just move to a whole different state to really put distance between you know themselves and their mother some people move to a whole different country the child to get their sense of self back together. You know, it's you know, we we all grow up with you know friends that are even like some of us even have have been through this and it's a very sad and unfortunate situation because you can't defend yourself as a child. You can't defend yourself, especially as an infant, but you can defend yourself as an adult. And the number one thing that I would recommend for people that have a narcissistic mother is number one, to put up boundaries, to have very strong boundaries, to keep the mother at a certain distance, say no, You know, don't let the mother control your life and don't be afraid to say no and stand up and stand your ground and defend yourself. You know, it's almost like you are, you know, standing up for your own injured child that's inside of you and you can start healing and rebuilding yourself and step out of the relation, that toxic relationship that you experienced when you were young and protect the inner child that was injured. But, you know, having boundaries and not allowing this narcissistic mother to triangulate you and not allowing this narcissistic mother to, you know, just shaming you and fault. If she's fault finding you, just tell her, stop, stop shaming me. Stop picking at me. If the, if the person, if your mother d- invalidates you, you need to find someone that will v- validate you because the narcissistic mother will not ever. So you need to go to someone who will. And don't be afraid because they're the broken ones, not you. You just need to heal from this experience. So good luck. talk about passive aggressive behavior 
That's a type of behavior that you can encounter in your workplace, with friends, with family members. And what is passive aggressive behavior? It's basically a pattern of indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of just openly addressing them. So there's a disconnect between what a passive aggressive person says and what they actually do. So an example would be a passive aggressive person might appear to agree. They might even agree enthusiastically. Um, but rather than complying with the request, this person might express anger or resent resentment by failing to follow through or missing the deadlines. So that's a passive aggressive person. They may agree to do it, but then they don't do it in kind of a covert or they give excuses. Rather than saying, look, I really don't want to do this project. So there's resentment and opposition to the demands of others. There's procrastination and intentional mistakes in response to others' demands. And there's frequent complaints about feeling underappreciated. Passive-aggressive behavior can interfere with relationships and cause difficulties. So how do you deal with passive-aggressive behavior? So number one is you just pay attention to the passive behavior, passive-aggressive behavior. You pay attention to it and you can call out the behavior. You can stay present with the behavior. You can be open and inclusive when it comes to communication. Recognize your own passive aggressive behavior. Or you can just remove yourself from this situation altogether. There's sometimes it's expressed in behaviors, usually passive aggressive behaviors, it's expressed in procrastinating, a person being stubborn, um, ineffective behavior, forgetting appointments, misplacing important material. Those are the types of things that um, passive aggressive behavior um, looks like. <clears throat> and this can even apply to just different things. Um, you know, you attend your friend's wedding and you're not in the wedding, but, you know, one of your friends, one of your girlfriends is wearing white to the wedding. You know, that's a passive aggressive move. Everyone knows that only the bride wears white. So any woman that wears white to a wedding is trying to stand out and almost maybe compete against the bride. 
It's a behavior. It can be even backhanded compliments, avoiding com- conflict. It can be even guilt tripping. You know, those are also signs of passive aggressive behavior. You know, sometimes people aren't able to <clears throat> deal with their own aggression, so it comes out in a very, you know, stubborn way or you know, they're procrastinating. And then other people just excuse the behavior because they don't really understand what's happening. But it's, I think it's important to look at the signs and call them out. You know, there's some people that just lie. You know, they do things and they lie. Um, it doesn't mean that passive-aggressive people are, are bad people. They're not necessarily bad people. They're just not able to call out bad behavior. Or they're not able to... Um, you know, some people are just doing things in what, what I consider to be in a mo- more covert way. And also, you know, just focus on one behavior at a time. You know, so you're not overwhelming the person. If a friend is constantly late, you know, that's a passive-aggressive behavior. But you need to understand why they're late. You know, tell them that you're appreciating that you know, they're, they want to attend whatever it is that they're attending to, but, you know, might, you might want to just ask him, why are you late? The goal is to change their behavior, which is not always easy to do, but you want them, you want to show the person what they're doing wrong so that they can change their behavior. And you want to show, you know, their bad behavior and show them the implications of their actions. If this person just makes excuses, then you can't solve the problem. If you can't get a straight answer, again, you can't solve the problem. We all need to be open and inclusive with our communication. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone can be open and not everyone can be inclusive. It goes back to our own family dynamics. You know, you influence positive change by welcoming feedback and to get a dialogue happening. You know, by encouraging a two-way communication usually helps 
um, you know, head off the, the passive aggressive patterns before they start. You see people that are sulking when they're unhappy, but they're not saying anything, they're pouting. That's a passive-aggressive passive behavior. Or people are putting off things as a way to punish others. Again, that's passive-aggressive. You know, people stop talking to other people because they're angry at them. That's passive-aggressive. We avoid people when we're upset. That's passive-aggressive. Or sometimes we use sarcasm to avoid um, engaging in the actual meaningful conversation. But the goal is to focus our energy and our emotions in a healthy way, to resolve the issue, confront the issue, You know, if someone in your life is purposely creating difficult obstacles for you or actively trying to make you feel bad about yourself, that relationship is toxic. You know, if the person is your boss, a close friend, or someone you can't avoid, you can, you know, try to keep your interaction to a minimum and learn to not internalize it. Passive-aggressive behavior can be emotionally draining. You want to, you know, experience a win-win situation so that there's understanding on both sides. You don't want a win-lose scenario. Because usually when you're dealing with a passive-aggressive person, you know, the worst thing that you can do is create a power struggle. And you don't want to feel like, you know, someone's winning, the other person's losing, and then the other person is upset. Sometimes people have trouble understanding why they feel a certain way or why they feel anger um, and so it's important to be able to help people um, recognize and express their feelings and do it in a constructive way and in a support make them feel supportive because the little things usually build up to be big things if they're not resolved Now we want to confront these little things before they become bigger. And you don't want to pay the price for someone else's bad behavior. 
the passive aggressive behavior is never about you. The key to reducing hurt feelings and having less negatively charged reactions is just having good communication. You know, we all have weaknesses and we all have strengths and it's not always easy to to look at and face our own weaknesses and even unhealthy defense mechanisms or unhealthy coping mechanisms it's much easier to blame others for our failures but we can resolve it when we work together with other people. There's a saying that I've always liked, it takes two to tango. It's never necessarily about one person. There's usually, in most cases, there's two and sometimes three, four, five people that are involved. But it takes two to tango. And so in order to resolve it, you need to talk about it and be open and honest about how you feel, which makes a lot of people feel very vulnerable, but that's how you resolve it. And then you can move forward. Feelings are temporary. They're not our personality. They are an emotion and they're temporary. And don't harbor negative feelings because if you do that, they'll become part of our personality. You'll be an angry person. But, you know, we're all angry. We all experience anger. We all experience happiness. But when you resolve the issue, that releases those trapped feelings. And you can move forward. Anger is an emotion. It's a feeling. So you resolve it, you can move on. 